purpose is transforming the world of work and business. Those leading the way are values-based and people-focused leaders who see business as a force for good. Host Kevin Monroe explores how tapping into the power of purpose infuses your business with meaning and touches the lives of your employees while positively impacting the communities you serve. With the Higher Purpose Podcast, here's Kevin Monroe. Hey, it's Kevin, and I want to welcome you to episode 106 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. And yeah, let me start with a thank you. Thank you for listening, for taking time out of your day and inviting me into that space. So it's always a delight to have you join us today, us, me and a guest, for an interesting conversation. And for many of you, I believe it's going to be extremely relevant and possibly even spooky in its timeliness for some of you. If you caught episode 105, you heard a clip from Marianne Kerr about her experience with the Gratitude Challenge. And her name might be familiar because I've called it a lot lately because Marianne is the person that introduced me to Steve Foran that started all of this work we're doing under the banner of the Gratitude Challenge. Well, today you get to join Marianne and me for what I hope you will find to be a delightful conversation because I know I did. So let's get to it. Hello, Mary Ann Kerr. What an absolute joy it is to welcome you to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Thank you so much, Kevin. I'm thrilled to be here. You know what? Who would have thought? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm thrilled for a lot of reasons. One, you're a longtime listener. And then I've told you this. I've told other people this. I also sincerely call you the unofficial sponsor of the Gratitude Challenge. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, Marianne, I know that gratitude is nothing new for you. You've been practicing gratitude a long time, but what is something in this moment that you're grateful for right now? I love this, and I've been thinking the last couple of days about it because there are actually two people that I've been thinking a lot about and who I am so incredibly grateful for, and I feel like I haven't really really understood how grateful I am for them in my life. One is my friend, Robin. She's been my friend for 37 years. Wow. Yeah. And she's been, we've had our ups and downs. (laughs) We've had our moments because, you know, your lives don't always mesh. You're doing different things. You're in different cities, all of these kinds of things. But it's not just the longevity of our relationship that's been really important to me. It's that she has kept me grounded as a human being, like really grounded as a human being, because she always remembers the important things. She always remembers the important things. And if I get lost, I've lost my way, she brings me back. And so I have other friends I've known longer, but she has just been a constant in my life. And I'm really deeply grateful for that. And then I have to say my husband, Steve, too, because, okay, talk about ups and downs. We've probably had way more of them than most. But again, he is a person who understands about loyalty. He understands about commitment. He understands about things that I didn't learn as a young person that are really key to who he is. So I've been thinking a lot about both of those people and how grateful I am for them. Okay. Okay. Boy, that's beautiful, Marianne, because all of a sudden it's just got me thinking this question that I'm just going to go ahead and turn to you, the listener right now. Who's your Robin? 
I mean, we all need someone like Robin in our lives, someone that keeps us grounded, keeps us connected to what really matters because everybody, I mean, life can get overwhelming, whatever it is. Sometimes we may get what my mom used to call too big for your britches. The reality. Anyway, so having that Robin, and then there's one other I'm going to ask you because you're doing something today that's really fun for you. So let's shout out that gratitude. You mean what I'm doing today? I'm hanging out with my two girls and they're both working away from home now and going to school. And so it's not a lot of time that we have just the three of us together. So I just love it. I feel really lucky to have both of them in my life. They're amazing young women. Yeah, I think it is amazing. And for anybody listening, if you are parents of adult children, adult age children, college age and beyond, and your children choose to hang out with you, (laughs) right? I mean, that's a good thing. That that says something about the relationship, Marianne. So I just wanted to include that in the gratitudes as well, because I know it's something we're grateful for. Thank you. So something I'm grateful for about you, you know, I just made this reference, but for folks who are kind of, there may be people listening to this that don't even know what the gratitude challenge is. We'll tell you about that at the end. They may not understand, why am I calling Marianne the unofficial sponsor of the gratitude challenge? You and I've had several conversations about that. I'd love to hear it from your perspective real quickly. I love being the unofficial sponsor and you call me that because I did this tiny little thing. I tagged Steve Ferran in a post that you had on LinkedIn. And as a result, the two of you met and all of this has come about as a result of that. But for me, what's beautiful about it is we often do little things and we never see any of the outcome or certainly are not appreciated for having done it. So you have just made this a lovely, beautiful thing. And I mean, it just thrills me to no end that the two of you have connected so deeply. So love it. Well, thank you, Marianne. And it is in our conversations, because there've been times I've just picked up the phone to call you to say, gosh, I am so over flowing with gratitude out of what's happening from this. I just want to say thanks. And you say, well, it was just a simple thing. And to me, the beauty of that is a lot of things we do are simple. It's simple, but it was so significant, right? So it doesn't need to be big to have significance. So anyway, I just love that. Thanks for doing that. And then there was also, it's about two months ago now, This is where we're going to spend some time. I don't know if we'll spend all of our time here, but about two months ago, you wrote a post on LinkedIn, starting over at (laughs) some age, and that's what we want to use the launching pad for today's conversation. Now, you put your age on LinkedIn. If you want to put your age on the podcast, that's up to you and not me. I'm totally fine. In fact, my birthday is coming up in about 10 days, and I'll be 58. And you know what? I still completely great about where I am. I don't know. I've never worried about age in that way. You know, a little, a little, you're a woman, you have to worry about some of those things. If you want to have kids, there are certain biological things that make you worried about aging. But for me, I feel great. And I feel as though, you know, you can start over at any time. I just happen to be 58 when I'm starting over. So Yeah. So I love that post. And part of it is that I could so relate to is I started over and there was a specific conversation I had four years ago. Gosh, am I really going to say this on the podcast? I turned 60 this year. Later this year, I turned 60. But I had a gentleman I'd been in a project with and we were bringing that project to an end and I was going to do something different. 
And I remember him saying, what do you get out of doing this at 55? You know, why would you start over? I said, I get a clean slate, which that's what you were talking about, this starting over. So mm -hmm. what prompted this post? And folks, you're listening, we're calling this starting over with purpose or on purpose. It's not just starting over at 57 or now 58, which Marianne was talking about, but let's talk about what does it take to, why are we doing this when purpose is involved? So what prompted the post and this pivot at this point in your journey? Well, you know, honestly, what prompted it, there were two things. First, it was kind of a follow-up to another post I had written about getting fired which has happened to me three times in the last nine years. And so this was like a really difficult thing. I was looking inward. I was asking myself, what's wrong with me? Why does this keep happening? And one of the things I wasn't doing was I wasn't really listening to the universe, which is something I believe quite strongly in doing, but I'd lost touch with all of that. I'd really lost touch with it. So I was on LinkedIn, I'd written the post about being fired, and I had a lot of feedback, people saying, thank you, I called it, you're not alone, because I know I'm not alone, and I know other people out there have been through this experience, and I wanted to help, I wanted to say, here's all the great advice I got that has helped me, and so I was on there, and I saw an article by a fellow who wrote, starting over at 40, and I read it and I thought, isn't that great? Like, isn't that amazing what he is doing, what this young man is doing? And he talks about how easy it is really for him, he says, because he has no kids. He doesn't have a life partner yet. So this is his moment. And it just twigged for me. Well, I have a life partner and I have two kids in university and holy smokes, I'm 57 and I'm starting over. And I'm looking at him going, isn't that great? But I'm not doing that for myself. <laughs> I'm not showing myself the same kindness and compassion that I did for him, for this complete stranger. So that's really what prompted it. Wow. Wow. In today's world, Marianne, there are dozens or hundreds of people listening to this podcast that are either starting over or maybe worse, wishing they could, but feeling some kind of fear because of that list of things. Oh, I'd really like to go do something else, but the mortgage, right? They're not like the guy starting over at 40 whose life is unencumbered. They're like folks like you and me that have houses and homes and children and are, in our case, grandchildren and all of these things you're thinking and you hear this, you ought to be able to do this. You should be able to do this. All of these things that are telling you and making you feel like, oh, you've got to stay the course. You may be miserable, but you're paying the consequences of decisions you made a long time ago. Deal with it. So what do you say to that? What are some of those things you've discovered in conversations with people? Let's help people get free to start over or shed the guilt yeah. that they felt. That's what I want to do in this conversation. Yeah. Well, I think that's such a great way of putting it is to shed the guilt because you look at your life and you say, you know, what am I meant to do? Why am I here? What has been a driver for me? And when I looked at my career, I you know everything I did was about helping other people. I worked solely in the charitable sector. I felt really good about the work I'd done. And I said, but the moments in that career when I felt truly myself and like I was doing something bigger than me, were moments, not just when we were successfully raising money, but when I had these great teams and healthy organizations and places where people wanted to come to work every day. And so 
I think what I did and what I'm suggesting that you might do if you're sitting in this place is say, you know, who am I? What matters to me? And what might I have to give up? I did have to give things up. You know, we tightened our belts quite considerably. So I cleaned my own house. There are all kinds of things that I had grown accustomed to that really I figured I could do without in order to invest in myself Mm. and realign with my sense of purpose. So it's a scary journey. You know, I'm I'm not going to pretend it's easy because it's not. And we did a lot of discussion with, I talked a lot to my husband, to my kids. This is a decision that involves your family, right? I mean, and so they're behind me 100% and I couldn't do it otherwise. Mm. I just couldn't. There's several things I want to dig into there, Marianne, and unpack some. And part of this is you used a phrase early in that segment. You used a phrase involved with something bigger than me. Right? I think a lot of us, and you and I have shared a similar path, in that when I started this business 14 years ago, we served only nonprofits. Because what did we want to do? We wanted to make the world a better place. We wanted to make a difference. And at that point in time, I thought working with nonprofits was maybe not just the best way, maybe the only way at that time that I saw that happening. But all of a sudden, we see these things that maybe we've seen narrowly framed, that this is the only way to do this. But all of a sudden, there's this being part of something bigger than me this sense of transcendence that invites us to see the world differently, to see it bigger, to think more broadly than we've thought before. Speak into that from your perspective. Yeah, I love that you picked up on that. Having studied leadership for a number of years, I remember, and I can't recall who I should attribute it to, but I read somewhere that part of the act of leadership is helping other people translate the world, right? You're helping them to manage and navigate and so on. And so I think that when I first wrote that post about getting fired and people started to message me privately and say, this is so great that you put that out there. And other people who are so complete strangers are saying that and people that I know are saying, are you crazy? You're never going to get hired again you should not be saying these things, right? And so I had these kind of conflicting points of view. So it was the kindness of strangers and it was the vulnerability and openness of strangers that helped me to see that I have a leadership role to play here because I'm willing to say things that other people might not be willing to say. And for every single person, there's a woman on LinkedIn, her profile reads, it's like the Emily Dickinson poem, if I can keep one heart from breaking, right? If I can help one single person. And that's how I feel. And so it's so much bigger than me. I don't even know how to describe it, but I know that I can find all the statistics to support that there's so many unhappy people in the workplace, corporate or not-for-profit, it doesn't seem to matter. And my empathy gene won't let that keep continuing. I feel like I need to do something about this. Mm. So a couple of other questions you shared in this so far that I want to unpack. You started asking questions about yourself, right? Who am I? What really matters to me? What prompted those questions? And what were some of the things, if you're comfortable sharing, that you discovered as you started asking those questions? Because Marianne, I've met a lot of people who are scared to ask or answer those questions because of what we might find, right? This, who am I? Because we have an image or persona that we've projected to the world, and that's who people think we are. 
And a lot of us have invested, you know, years of education into mapping up or propping up the persona. But who are you really? What really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It isn't easy, again, to look internally. And I think I started because I had just been fired for the third time. And it was such a shock to my system. And I was walking around for a long time. I mean, let me tell you, I mean, there were days when I barely could get out of bed, right? I mean, it was really difficult. And so I was saying to myself, what is wrong with me? That's where I started, right? What is wrong with me? And that's not coming from a place of gratitude. It's not coming from a place of kindness or compassion. It was my husband who said to me, you know, maybe it's not you. And so I started to think about that. Well, so what do I know about myself, right? Because I also don't want to pretend I'm not giving away, I'm not saying, oh, it was everybody else's fault I got fired, right? I, I know I own a piece of that, but I wasn't just owning a piece of it. I was owning all of it. I was owning all of it because that's what I do. I'm not nice to myself. I'm just nice to other people. So it made me stop and ask questions about who I am and what matters to me. And then I know that being kind and loving, I know that those are values that matter to me. I believe in the concept of servant leadership. And Kevin, you and I have talked about that before. I believe in the concept of inclusivity, trust and integrity. These are things that matter. And they've mattered to me for as long as I can remember since I was a little child, right? And empathy has, has always mattered to me. So I actually started to write those things down, right? Mm -hmm. And I do a kind of gratitude journal. I've, I've used the five-minute journal for years. So I continued to use that as a tool to help me. I got Steve Fran's book on gratitude and I read that. I don't think there's anything more important in the world if you want to lead your life. And that's what it is. We lead our lives, right? Then knowing yourself really well, right? Because in doing that, you embrace the good and the not so good, the places you need to work on, but you also come at life from a place of strength. Yeah. This is what I'm good at. Mm. Okay. Wow. You know, I love it. Folks, you may not understand this conversation wasn't mapped out. This conversation is just happening real time unfolding here. We kind of had like three or four points where, well, we may go here. We may go there. Marianne, I just want to ask, and I also want to call out to the listeners, and if we were in a room, I would ask, how many of you have ever asked this question, what's wrong with me? You know, and I'm raising my hand there, Marianne, right? Because that's, what's the better question? How, did, how was it when Steve said, maybe it's not you? What was the better question you began to replace that with? Because I'm sure some of you listening are hung up on this, what's wrong with me question. So what's one or two questions you could replace that with? Well, you know what? It's funny. The place I looked first was to what, what have other people who I admire, what have they said about me and about working with me? And, you know, LinkedIn has become my great tool because when I do leave places, I ask people to write a recommendation. and So I went first to what have other people said about me? How do I, you know, look to people from the outside? And of those things, what resonates with me? You know, when people have said you were kind and you built a great team and I went, yeah, that is who I am. And I want to own that. And most importantly, I want to own my story. So I did that. And then I would say, just ask the exact opposite question. What are my strengths? What am I good at? And if I looked at it in relation that you mentioned my daughters, if I thought about it in relation to how I lead my life at home, and I thought about all of the things that I love about who I am at home and 
are those the same things that I was bringing out into the world? Mm. Right. Okay. I love this. And I love that you said, I don't even know what I call it, but you said something that just stirred me. There's kind of like this good things folder or, you know, things I want to remember. And it's kind of my folder. Hey, when life really gets tough, open this folder and just read what other people have said of the effect you had on them, of the way they viewed that project, of what you inspired them to do, of what you encouraged them to do. Because we all have down days and that voice, what's wrong with you is the voice that's screaming. And we can dial it down by opening up some of these places and going to, oh yeah, this moment's not my best moment, but I've had better moments. And here's one of them. And here's another one. And here's another. I love that, Mary Ann. So, you know, Kevin, one of my favorite team building exercises, you remember when you were a kid and you had a piece of paper and you just folded it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then you made us an actual fan, a paper fan that you would you, we would take that, we put our name on it, and then we'd pass it around the room to each member of the team. And each member of the team would say, okay, there's Kevin's fan. What is the thing I most love about working with Kevin? And they'd write that down. And so when you got around the table and it came back to you, you had 12 things on your fan. Yeah. And it is actually a tiny, easy exercise that I have those fans up on my bulletin board. Right? They remind me, they keep it present for me so that you don't end up sinking back into all of the places because we do it, it's human nature, right? All of the places where we need to improve. If you ask an athlete what they do, they don't focus on what they're not good at. If I'm going to be an elite hockey player, I'm focused on being an elite hockey player. I'm not thinking about, well, I'm not as good at golf. So maybe I'll go practice my golf game, right? Mm -hmm. They're focused and they understand about building on strengths. Hmm. Okay, I want to back up and pick up one other thread and pull it through a little bit. You said, because I know this is important and it's informed some of the work you've done in recent weeks and months. You started looking and said, okay, while we were doing this, I mean, raising money is what we did, but there were a couple of things you observed. One is how the successful moments were done with great teams. And it was kind of like, okay, what made the team great? And it was also done in spite of some toxic cultures. So, which is another thing that we talk about here on the podcast is the great place to work and what it means to have a dynamic culture. So let's tie those together in your journey, if you will, for a moment. Sure. Well, I think the truth is you can be successful as a team functioning well within a toxic culture. You just, you can, but the level of success you're going to have is different. So the way I think of it is, and I just did a piece of research and I called it, imagine the impact, because I believe if you really think about what this organization could achieve is that whole sort of team approach that is happening within, let's say the fundraising silo, because it is awfully siloed as well. If that could be replicated throughout the organization, imagine the impact we could have. At the end of the day, how many more homeless people are given homes? How many more people are fed who are hungry? All of those things could be happening if we could get rid of this toxicity in the workplace, which is just an expression of people bullying and being inconsistent and managing to boards instead of thinking about this ego-driven. I mean, there is just so much going on in these organizations that is sad and difficult and makes people not want to go to work in a place that they thought 
they were there to express their values, right? They thought they were doing this work to express who they were, but it didn't turn out to be that way. Yeah. So the statistics would tell us that of the people listening to this conversation on this podcast, if they're a random sampling of the general population in North America or around the world, many of you listening at this moment know what Marianne's talking about firsthand. You are part of a dysfunctional workplace. And there are things, you know, you can go back to the conversation we had here with Bob Chapman that talks about what happens at work doesn't stay at work. The experience of work is the leading cause of chronic disease in North America is the stress, the anxiety. Well, you looked at all of that and part of that informed some of this for you. Hey, I want to help attract that, right? So you did this research. I did. And you know, one of my favorite books in doing all of that research was called It's the Manager. It's a Gallup book. I've forgotten the authors, but they talk about the fact that, and I kind of remember the Canadian numbers, but I think it's slightly better actually in the U.S., but in Canada, 80% of people are disengaged from their jobs. 80%. So that's 80% of the workforce is calling it in and 70% of them blame their manager which, you know, is ultimately the whole toxicity piece is right there in those statistics. And then the other book is Jeffrey Fessler, Pfeiffer, who wrote Dying for a Paycheck, right? And he provides all of the numbers around people getting ill as a result of going to work. So when I look at governments and I think they're trying to figure out how to create more productive countries, more productive companies, well, the way they could do it is if they were investing in this work right? Investing in creating kinder, more collaborative, more productive workplaces. So I will, the number is slightly different. It's not enough to even call it better, but I think the latest numbers are like 67, 68%, right? That's still two out of three people are miserable. (laughs) That is way too many. Mm -hmm. Let's do what you did a moment ago. Let's talk about looking out, getting a little bigger. So now all of a sudden, we're not just talking about Mary Ann. Let's talk about what you've experienced here and how we can apply that to the listener. That one of the paths I see to discovering your purpose is the pain you've encountered along the journey, right? That, that, that gives you a lens on something that others may not have. Do you agree? It gives me a lens, and I think the truth is a lot of people have that lens, um, but maybe we've grown up believing that that's just the way it is in the world. So suck it up, buttercup, right? Head down and carry on, right? That's part of the kind of work ethic we've grown up with. So I do think it does. I've experienced a bully twice in the workplace. And it was, I don't even know what word to use, traumatic, I guess, is what I would say. And I have had people, other people, write to me through LinkedIn and say, I've had that experience that's happened to me. And the first thing I say back is, I'm really sorry that it happened to you because I understand the depth of despair you are feeling or have felt. And it doesn't just go away, right? We suffer PTSD as a result. We carry that with us, right? We carry all the good stuff, but we carry the trauma too. And it impacts how we work and how we move forward. And so 
the pain combined with empathy causes you to want to help others that are experiencing that pain, which I think that's part of the lens I was trying to say. Because we've experienced some of this stuff, now we have what the experts call moral authority. We can talk about this with authority because this isn't something I read about in a book or I studied about at university, so I know what you're going through. No, I know what you're going through because I went through something very similar. may not be the exact thing, and I know how it impacted me. So, Marian, you've also had this opportunity to look lately because of your own journey. What are some of the things that you found that are catalysts that help you get through, let's call it a purpose-powered reboot. You know, you're starting Mm -hmm. over with purpose, on purpose. What are some of the things that you would encourage people that can identify with this? What are some next steps they might, or paths they might want to explore? Yeah. Well, I would tell people, if you haven't read The Alchemist, you should read The Alchemist because it is a book, and I read it three times. It puts you in a place to be able to explore your purpose and think about who am I, who do I want to be, as opposed to what do I want to be. And I think that's that's a really important first step. And as part of that, you can Google what does it mean to have a growth mindset. But I think that idea of being open to what you need to learn, I mean, I am not technically very profound (laughs) or good. So I had to learn how to use YouTube. I've had to, I follow everybody on LinkedIn I can find who is a LinkedIn expert because I need to learn how to use that tool. I've always got a bunch of books on the go. These are things we have to do, right? I want to, but not everybody does. So being open to kind of continuous learning and challenging yourself, I think is critical. And then finding people like you, Kevin, like you have been to me, you have been a great encourager. I mean, we've been connected on LinkedIn for many years, but it was as a result, I think, of that post where we kind of reconnected and you have reached out on the phone, you have reached out through email, you've been an encourager for me. And so I have sought out encouragers, much of them through you and your podcast. So I listen to your podcast and I go, okay, wait a minute, I need to know Claude Silver. I need to know Kimberly Davis. I need to connect with these people because they sound like people I want to know and know more about. So that's three things I could keep going, but I don't want to. (laughs) One of those, I want to go back to Paulo Coelho in the book, The Alchemist, which Mm -hmm. is, there is one of my, I guess my favorite line from the book in that I just want to say to you listening, because you're hearing this And Paulo touches on something, or the character that he's writing about. I'm starting now what I could have started 10 years ago, right? So we hear that, and all of a sudden, we're thinking this regret, regret. I should be further. And then he said, thank God I didn't wait 20, right? So if you're in this forward reboot now, don't go, well, gosh, I should have done this. So just be grateful that you're doing it now. And make this moment of a purpose-powered reboot different from the other times. Commit. And I love it. There's so many people I've met through the podcast that do what you've done, Marion. And this is how these folks have come to be guests on the podcast. I hear somebody, I reach out and connect with them. Develop a relationship with them. And what do these folks do? They respond when you reach out to them. They're just people. They're amazing people. They're people with big hearts. And if you reach out in an authentic way, 
right? Not to use them, but just to get to know them. They respond because they're amazing people. And then we're all growing these amazing networks. But I do want to go back to that. You know, don't beat yourself up. And I saw you just light up when I was, you love that quote too from Paulo? I love that quote because, you know, for a split second, I said to myself, you know, I wasn't listening to the universe for quite a while. And the reason I wasn't listening was fear. So I was the single breadwinner at our house for 15 years. And my husband started back in the work world five years ago. So nine years ago, when my career started to take a turn, instead of listening, and everyone around me was saying, you are such a great consultant, you should keep being a consultant. Why are you taking a job? And I took a job, and then I took a job, and then I took a job, when really what I'm great at being is a consultant. But I did it out of fear. Right, I took it out of fear and I don't beat myself up about it. I did what felt like the right thing for me and my family at that point in time. But it's such a great feeling to now be a consultant who's good at what I do and maybe not as making as much money as I used to, but I'm good with that. I'm okay. <laughs> I want to go back, tie this twice, and I got to make sure there are two themes. I'm going to call out here that I want to come back to. One is the money and the trade-offs, because this is the second time you've talked about it. So I'm making notes, money and fear. I want to come back and talk about fear. As well. <laughs> but this idea, okay, somebody somewhere, or actually the way I realize it now, is a whole bunch of folks on purpose, out of key strategies, are spending billions of dollars a year to persuade you and me we are not good enough and that we cannot be good enough unless we have their product, whatever it is they're hawking, right? When I talk about billions of dollars, I'm talking about all of the marketing campaigns that are geared mm -hmm. towards making you, me, and you listening not enough and just calling out that we're not enough. But you made, just like my wife, Gwen and me, we've made some deliberate trade-offs to say, you know what? There's some things in life that are worth more than that to us. Sure, that's what you think we should have. You said, gosh, you're cleaning your own house. How terrible. <laughs> you know, like a first world problem. Yeah, I mean, this is what we think. It's not so bad. So trade-offs, talk about a couple of the trade-offs and how you negotiated it and what you found on the other side of that trade-off. I think that you have to be true to yourself within the context of your family, but also true to yourself. So I think what we do is we put a lot of stress on ourselves that doesn't really necessarily belong there. We always say we want our kids to do better than we did, right? So for me, what was really clear was that my parents couldn't afford a post-secondary education for me and my siblings. So that was a critical kind of marker for me in life was that my kids would be able to do that. So these are the kinds of things. And there's lots of little ones. I mean, there are lots yeah. of little ones, but that's a big one. Lots of little ones. We think about things like before we get in the car to go somewhere that is far away, we think about that, but we never would have thought about that before. We just would have hopped in the car and gone. But now we actually stop and say, okay, price of gas, right? All of the rest of it. So we think about things that we didn't have to think about before. And maybe that's not such a bad thing. And I'll tell you another one, kind of funny, but maybe it's, a, I don't know if this is just women that do this, but if I had to go to an event or I recently had some media coverage, I would think, oh, I got to go out and buy a new outfit, right? Every time something new happened, I'd need a new piece of clothing that went with it. 
So I'm learning to make do with what I have. And that's a great feeling. That's not been who I've been. I loved to shop. But I'm learning that I can actually make do. And it's a great feeling. So trade-offs. They're trade-offs. And that's what I want to invite you. There may be things that you give up. But I believe what Marianne is saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm going to ask you this. But I know what I'm saying is that what we're getting in exchange for these trade-offs is a far more value than what we were giving up. Yeah. Oh, no question about it. So the, the stuff that was prevalent in my life previously was exactly that. It was stuff. And what I have now, I mean, I have a really deep sense of purpose. When I wake up in the morning, like I'm doing what I was meant to do, there is no better feeling than that. There is simply no better feeling than that. I could not agree more. And Marianne, you know, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, there have been seasons in my life not that long ago that I could not drag my butt out of bed in the morning. You know, it was just this, a tough day, a dark season. So I know what it's like. And our mutual friend, Mike Vacanti, just last week, we were on a conversation and Mike said, Kevin, you sound different, right? That's amazing. And that kind of energy that is directed from purpose is transformative. So before we go, fear, what does it take for you to Put fear in the back seat or out of the driver's seat and stopping you from doing the things that you're wanting to do. How do you shut up the voice or at least quiet it down so you can move forward? Well, it's like hitting a reset button for me. I say to myself, think about the world from a place of abundance Mm -hmm. instead of a place of scarcity because fear belongs in that scarcity bucket and the world is actually an abundant place. And so I can remember times where my brother died in 1995 and on his his gravestone, he had written, a life lived in fear is a life half lived. Mm. And my brother was gay and has been in the closet for most of his life because of fear and the recrimination that went along with it. And so, yeah, I guess that I think about those two things. I think that he didn't get to live a long and healthy life. And I do. And I am going to make the most of every minute of it. And I'm not going to let fear stand in my way. Mm. I'm just not. I love it. I love it. I love what you said, that the world is actually an abundant place. Most of us don't see it like that, but it is. There's another quotation in a book a client gave me that abundance is the natural state. We're the ones that introduce limitations. <laughs> is another way of saying it. So, Marianne, for those folks that right now are going, okay. Okay, I, I maybe maybe it's my time. Maybe I can step out. What would you say to people that are really in the early stages of even just considering is a reboot on purpose possible? Speak to them. Just yeah. Well, I guess I would say be brave, mm. be kind to yourself, talk to the people you love and trust the most. Because I think one of the things we don't do is we don't put this out into the world, right? We don't say it out loud. We don't say, you know, maybe I'm 48 years old and I dream of being a pilot, but I'm actually something completely different. And we don't put it out in the world because we think that someone is going to say that's foolish. And in fact, I think the opposite is true. I think a lot of people out there will say, well, let's figure out how we can make this come true for you. 
And that has been the experience I've had. And so, yeah, be brave and trust the people around you to support you through. I love it. I love that, Marianne. So folks that are wanting to connect with you, to engage in a conversation with you, to go further, how do they do that? Well, the best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. Once we're connected, all of my contact information is there and it's Marianne Kerr on LinkedIn. All right. Any final words that you want to say before we wrap up this conversation? You use an expression, you say, put a bow on it. What's the bow to wrap up the conversation? And you know, I think interestingly, the bow for me comes right back to gratitude. Hmm. I think if you can step back out of yourself a little bit and think about everything you have to be grateful for, it will remind you that you are living in an abundant place, that the world is full of hope and possibility. And we're all here to help everyone else through, Hmm. all of us. That's a beautiful bow. And you mentioned Steve Foran. So I'm going to quote my favorite line from Steve's book to wrap this up. And I'm going to say it to you, Marianne. I'm saying it to myself as I say it. I'm saying it to you listening. You are worthy and you have much to be grateful for. So Marianne, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you, for the friendship we have, the relationship we've shared, for the introduction to Steve and all that's come through that for investing in us today to talk about this, the Purpose Powered Reboot and how you listening can do it too. You don't have to wait till you're 57 or if you're 77, it's not too late. Thank you, Kevin. I just loved every minute of it. Hey, thanks, Marianne. That was so much fun having you join me. And I'm hoping you, you listening, heard something. There's something about her in this conversation that resonated with you. And you know, I'm always eager to hear what that is. So here are a couple of thoughts that I want to tee up for you. I want to ask, who's your Robin? Now, you may be thinking I'm suggesting you're Batman and you've got a Robin as a sidekick. That's not what I'm saying here, although maybe they are your sidekick. But you know, Robin was Marianne's best friend. And Marianne said she keeps her grounded and connected to life. And oh, when I heard that, I was thinking we all need someone like that. So who's your Robin? Who is it that picks you up on a down day or pulls you down when you, you know, getting your head up in the clouds? And then I want to ask you, do you have, and I'm just going to call it this, an amazing things other people have said about me, so it must be true, file or folder somewhere? You know, I've got one of those. I think I currently call it my keeper's file. I may rename it to that longer name. But a day is coming when it will come in handy. You know those dark, difficult days when there's a voice, your voice, asking you, what's wrong with me? That's when you need to open up that amazing things other people have said about me so it must be true file or folder, and read some of those and remind yourself that those voices of accusation that you're hearing, this is not me, or at least it's not me when I'm at my best. And you need to reorient to those things that you know to be true about you when you are your best, most amazing self. And if you are one of those people starting over on or with purpose, please let me know. I want to support you on that quest. You can email me, Kevin, at higherpurposepodcast.com. Let me know that via email, or you can call me, 678-744-5111. 
Oh, there's one more thing that Mary Ann said to me after we stopped recording. Living a life of purpose isn't always easy, but it is always worth it. Until next week, I invite you, encourage you to live, love, and lead with purpose. And if you have not yet, please sign up to join us for the next Gratitude Challenge by going to thegratitudechallenge.community. Do you have a high-stakes initiative that is stuck, stalled out, or stymied, and you're not sure what to do now and how to forge a path forward? The situation is not as grim as you think it is. We can help. Contact Kevin to explore how a winning conversation may be exactly what you need to break the gridlock, unite your team in purpose, and accelerate traction. Call 678-744-5111 or email kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. 